You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today, as we celebrate our third birthday as a church, I want to talk about what does it mean to abide. We're called Abide Church, and uh, let us not be fooled that we didn't think of this, this word, abide. We didn't come up with it and say, you know what would be a cool church name? Abide Church. That was not the conversation. I can promise you that. Uh, that's not how it went down. But one time in my, in, uh, a few years ago, three years ago, in my private time, uh, a quiet time with God, I was just praying and seeking Him, and He led me to John 15, which talks about this word abiding. And uh, in John 15, Jesus talks about how our our Father in heaven is the vine dresser, how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And he simply says this, look, if you will stay, Jesus is saying, if you'll stay connected to me, you're going to produce my fruit in your life. I'm going to flow through you and I'm going to produce good things. But he also paints this picture of our heavenly Father who says, he's going to come around. He's going to prune you. Nobody likes pruning in their life, but he's going to cut some things out because it needs to be cut out. He's going to find you if you've been knocked down into the dirt and you're not producing fruit. He's going to lift you up, put you back where you need to go so you can produce fruit. Or he says the vine dresser will also come around and anyone that's not connected, that's withering and not connected, he's going to cast it into the fire. And so Jesus really covers all of our bases there. He said, it's got some good stuff. You stay connected, you're going to produce good fruit. But he says, look, if you choose to go your own way, try your own thing, he says, you're just going to be like a branch. You're going to be like a, a dead branch that's not producing any fruit. And he said, you're not worth anything. It'll be cast away. And so uh, he lays out this in-depth picture. And I've talked about that several times in the past. That's really the key verses of where we get the name abide from for our church. But today I want to talk about from a little bit of a different angle. In your Bible, it might not say abide. If you have the New Living or NIV, it'll probably say remain. And that's the title that I want to talk about for today is the word remain. What does that mean? And where do we see that in Scripture? So I'm going to talk about this from a little bit of a different angle that I've ever talked about it before. So we're going to hop right into it. Point number one is this, to abide is to remain. That's what it means. To abide is to remain. Actually, in the, in the definition um, uh, of abide from the Greek lexicon or the Greek dictionary means to remain as one. To remain as one. You can see the intimacy of, uh, of Jesus and God as he approaches our relationship. And he says, I want to remain not just close to you, but I want to remain with you as one, together, you and me, my spirit in you. I want to remain as one. But I want to look at this word remain from a different passage than we've looked at it before. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 32. Many times we read this story about John the Baptist, but as we read this story, we breeze past the word remain. But let's look at it together. John 1, 32. And John, this is John the Baptist, he bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he, talking about the Spirit, remained upon Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him is he who, is, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So we see remaining here twice. If you're ever reading your Bible and you see, two, you see the same word twice within a few verses, normally it's God saying, hey, this is really important. <laughs> I'm trying to get your attention because I know you probably just breezed past the first one. So he says what? He remained upon Jesus, and he re continued remaining upon Jesus. This is a great example of how the Holy Spirit descended and remained 
on Jesus his entire life. What's interesting is that the Holy Spirit is depicted as many things in Scripture. If you're reading the Old Testament, you're going to see him depicted as many things, cloud, fire, wind, oil. In the New Testament, we see dove. The Holy Spirit is not those things, but he's like those things. So if we think the Holy Spirit is a dove, he's not. (laughs) He's like a dove. That's what Scripture shows us. He descended like a dove. But why would he be compared to a dove? This is what I want to look at today. This is a really interesting study and to look at it because in the natural, the dove is a very shy bird, a wild one at least. It's, very, it's easily spooked. It's tough to get close to. It's tough to, if you find a wild one, it's tough to um, contain it. It's tough to get your hands on it, if you will. In the natural, it's a very shy bird. But it has a relative in its family that's very similar, but is that the exact opposite of it. In fact, doves and pigeons are in the same family. A pigeon, if you want to look at it this way, a pigeon is really just a fat dove, okay? I mean, uh, anatomically, they're the same. If you were to look on the inside, they all look, they, they're pretty much the same how they're built. But their temperament is extremely different, right? If you think of a pigeon, what I think of is I think of Home Alone 2 and I think of the pigeon lady. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you are already thinking that. If you haven't seen Home Alone 2 in a while, go back and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, not, not really good, not really... They're not really, to me, they're not pretty. They're kind of like flying rats, okay? They are, uh, but they're, they're, they're similar to a dove, but very opposite as well. Dove and a pigeon. You can train a pigeon, but you cannot train a wild dove in the same way. It, you can't do it. One man said that he could train a pigeon to find a red box in the middle of New York City. That's crazy. That's, that's amazing. But you can barely even get close to a dove. Yet the Holy Spirit is compared to a dove, saying that he is like a dove. A dove is gentle. Pigeons are boisterous and many. And they're always in groups of, of, it feels like hundreds at a time, right? They start to swarm on different places. I think in the same way that many cannot tell the difference between a pigeon and a dove from a distance in the natural, in the same way, I think our modern churches cannot tell the difference between a loud boisterous, manufactured Holy Spirit and the authentic presence of the Holy Spirit. They look similar. Anatomically, they're the same, but their temperament is very different. Very different. The dove represents the authentic Holy Spirit, and the pigeon is a counterfeit Holy Spirit. There are those that think that just because there was a lot of people, there was a lot of commotion, there was a lot of busyness, that the Holy Spirit is present in their church services when that is not necessarily true. And that should be a scary truth for us to swallow today. We thought he was there, but sometimes it's something that we have created ourselves. ourselves. I think that many times we mistake the authentic Holy Spirit for pigeon religion. One old pastor said it that way. Pigeon religion. So we got to talk about how do we get close to the Holy Spirit and remain with Him? How do we remain with Him? When we were, when I was praying about the name for our church, God put this, this phrase on my heart. He said, many people are visiting me on Sunday, but they're not abiding in me every day. 
and I wrote that down, many people are visiting Jesus on Sunday, but they're not abiding in him every day. And that's his desire, is that you would remain, you would abide, you would be close to him every single part of your day. But too many Christians, what happens is we don't ever remain. We easily uproot ourselves, we get offended, we, 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 we move somewhere. We don't ever just put down some roots and remain. But I want to tell you this, all of hell wages war against your ability to abide. Because that's where the fruit is produced. When Jesus talks about abiding in him, he said, you can, outside of me, you can do nothing. Now, what he's saying is that if you don't have a relationship with me, he's not saying that you're just going to sit on the couch and do nothing all day. He's saying, no, the, even worse. If you're not connected to Jesus, everything you're doing is for nothing. That's what he means. You're going to be busy. Your life's going to be busy no matter what. But he said, at the end of the day, you will have no spiritual fruit to back it up. And that's why all of hell wages war against your ability to remain and to abide. Hell wants your faith to be short-lived, your passion to be temporary, your marriage to crumble, your hope to fail. But I'm going to tell you this, victory belongs to those who remain. Victory belongs to those who abide. You want to see victory in your life? It starts with remaining, abiding. Every day, I'm going to make a step and a point to abide in Christ. How do we do that? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Point number two is this. Do everything with the dove in mind. Capital D. Now again, hear me. I'm, I'm not saying he is a dove, but I'm saying this to help us remember it. Remember it. And I'm painting this picture for you here shortly. Do everything with the dove in, in mind. Remaining with the Spirit is an extremely sensitive matter. If you're going to abide, it is a, it's a very sensitive thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. We have to remember that he's a person. If you never see him as a person, you will struggle to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. You will always see him as a dove or as a figure, as the wind or as fire. He is like those things, but he is a person, part of the Godhead. He is part of the Trinity. He has a personality. And I'll take it a step further. He is a very sensitive person. Scripture shows us he is a very sensitive person. Now, in the natural, when we say someone's sensitive, we don't mean that as a compliment. In our context, we say, well, you better just be careful around them. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You've got to walk on eggshells. Um, but like it or not, the Holy Spirit is extremely sensitive. Let me show you. Ephesians 4, verse 30. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all Everybody say all. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That word grieve is really pretty simple. In the original, it's to cause sorrow, to affect with sadness. Many times I think as believers, we think, well, I'm not grieving the Holy Spirit because I'm not murdering anyone. <laughs> I'm not cheating on my spouse. Like, I'm not doing anything too crazy, serious, and sin. I'm not grieving the Holy Spirit. But look at the list that follows grieving the Holy Spirit. Simple. That word clamor up there, we were talking about this in, in, in our pre-service meeting when we were going through rehearsal. That word clamor is yelling and infighting. You want, to talk, you want to see some grieving of the Holy Spirit? Go on social media and watch two Christians yell at each other through a keyboard. Clamor. That's what that is. And that's what we do 
all the time. And we wonder why the world is watching us saying, I want no part of that. Why? Because there's no Holy Spirit involved. It's not about us. It's because the Holy Spirit is grieved and lifted away. Now, he's with you. I'm not saying that he's not with you in here, but his presence, his manifest presence is lifted from that point. Like it or not, grieving the Holy Spirit is one of the easiest things to do in the world because we do it without even knowing that we're doing it. Look at this list. How many times have I done this? Weekly, daily, hourly, right? Fallen into one of these. And I bet this is a short list. It's probably more that grieves him, but this is something that should get our attention and say, am I grieving the Holy Spirit with how I'm conducting myself and how my coworkers are watching me? In fact, here's a great way of, of looking at it. Have you ever been in a moment where the presence of God is so tangible and it's so real and you're just there and maybe it's your quiet time or maybe it's during worship when you're at church and you're just like, man, I've never, God, I know you're here. Your presence is tangible. But then an hour goes by and you don't feel the same. It's not there. Something changed. Something shifted. Something's totally different. Well, the question is what changed? God? No. Same yesterday, today, and forever. We changed. Most likely, I did something to remove myself from the manifest presence of his spirit. I did something, if you want to look at it this way, to spook the dove. I did something. I got angry with the person that cut me off in traffic on the way to work. I was short-tempered. I lost my cool with my kids. I got distracted by earthly things and other things that got my eyes off of Jesus. And what I'm not saying is this. Because I did those things, Scripture isn't saying you're no longer saved. I didn't lose my salvation because I blew up at my kid today. That's not it. But he is, because even Paul, what does he write? You were sealed for the day of redemption. But he is saying, look, you may have the Holy Spirit in you, but he's grieved in you. And if he's grieved in you, you can't think as you should. You can't pray as you should. You can't act as you should. I've done something to remove that depth of his presence that he longs to keep you in. If a physical dove, here's a great way of looking at it. Here's a picture for it. If a physical dove were to land on your shoulder today, first thing, I would freak out if that happened to me, right? I'm sure you would too. <laughs> Get off my shoulder. But let's say you wanted it to stay there. A physical dove lands on your shoulder and you want it to stay there. How would you react? How would you move? How would you go through your day? I want it to stay there. Don't leave me. Don't fly away. Don't abandon me. Don't, don't be lifted from me. Here's what you would do. You would do everything with the dove in mind. Every job site I walk onto, every meeting I go into, me washing the dishes at, you know, at home, me taking out the trash, I would do everything with that dove in mind. Stay. Remain. Abide. But the problem is, before the dove will ever come down like that, in that depth of his presence, what happens is I have to get quiet enough for him to land on my shoulder. One of the greatest enemies of discipleship in the modern world is busyness. Busyness. We're so busy, we're moving so much, the dove won't land on your shoulder because you're running. He's waiting for you to get quiet and to get in here. And he'll land on your shoulder when you get quiet and you get in here. In a deeper way, in a manifest way, in a greater way. 
Some people are wondering why their house is a mess, their marriage is full of frustration, they have no peace, their kids are angry and violent towards their mom, and I think it's because of this. Maybe it's because we pretend to honor the presence of the Holy Spirit at church, in social media, and in front of our friends, but we fail to do it in the most important place, which is our homes, in front of our kids, and in our quiet times. Let me say that again. Many times we pretend to honor the presence of the Holy Spirit at church and on social media in front of our friends, but we fail to do it in the most important place, which is our homes, in front of our kids, and in our quiet times. Here's why this is so important. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is at stake. Scripture wouldn't have made it a point to say the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus and remained, and he continued remaining. He, it, scripture wouldn't have made it such a point to say he remained with him if it wasn't, if something couldn't shift in our walk with God when I grieved the Holy Spirit. So I've got to do everything in my power to realize the anointing of the Holy Spirit's at stake on our churches and in my marriage and my kids, my family, my calling, my job, whatever it is. The anointing of God on that thing in my life or that relationship in my life is at stake with how I steward my relationship in abiding with Jesus. But we get so comfortable in America that we just think, well, I'll do whatever I want and I'll ask for forgiveness later. And that ain't how this thing works. That's not how this thing works. The Holy Spirit can be grieved and lift away. Again, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about a depth or a very deep um, anointing and presence that you go into. We must fight to do everything to remain in him. Some, will, some people will say this when it comes to our country. Well, we just need revival. We just need the fire to fall, right? We just need our country to be saved. But they're not willing to give up bitterness in their heart for that person that wronged them five years ago. They're praying for revival. But meanwhile, they're, they're hanging on to bitterness from five, ten years ago, all the while grieving the Holy Spirit. Do you see how so many times if we say, well, we want revival. Where does it start? Me. It starts with you. If I want revival, if I want to see change in our country, where does it start? I must experience it first and, and deal with what Scripture has said I must deal with to experience all that God has for me. Too many times our life's full of bitterness towards other people and that have wronged us, and we wonder why God isn't showing up. Uh, our homes are full of gossip, but we wonder why we have no peace in our families. Uh, some of you, I, I'm going to, let me pastor you for a second. Some of your marriages would change literally overnight if you would value the remaining power of the Holy Spirit instead of who was right and who was wrong in the argument you had last week. You hear me? Let me pastor you. So many times we just think, I got to be right. I got to be number one. And the Holy Spirit's just saying, why don't you guys stop and make me number one? And watch what I'll do for your marriage. Watch what I'll do in your life. Watch how I'll move and I'll bring peace to your home. But too many Christians, they're walking around, and I've been guilty of this. You're walking around with a chip on your shoulder instead of a dove. Everywhere I go, that person wronged me. They cut me off. That coworker messed with me. That cashier was grumpy with me. Chip on your shoulder. And God is saying, I want you to do what I did with Jesus. He's your model. Let the Spirit remain on you and watch how your life change. Everyone wants the fire to fall. Everyone wants the fire to fall. But really the goal is to have the dove come down and to remain and to abide. And that's why Jesus is the perfect example because he never grieved the Holy Spirit. And that's why our vision at Abide is to help people live, love, and look like 
Jesus. So let me wrap up with this really quick. What does it mean to live, love, and look like Jesus? Gavin's been anxiously waiting for these next points to fill in, so let me get to it. (laughs) First one is this. To live like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. If I'm going to live like Jesus, I'm going to serve like him. And it's, it's really, really simple. Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. To live like Jesus is to serve. Jesus came not so, look how great I am, serve me, uh, honor me. No, he came to what? Serve people. So the measure of success for disciples is not in how we rule, it's in how we serve. Everyone's saying, well, I, I look at how many people I'm over at work. Look at how many people I'm the boss of. Stop. How many people am I serving? How many people am I lifting up? How many people am I discipling? How many people am I pulling out of the pit? How many people am I getting, helping get free from sin and pointing them in towards Jesus? How many people am I serving? So you, you may sit there and wonder, well, am I living like Jesus? How do I know? It's a really simple question. Am I serving anywhere? Am I serving my church? Am I serving my spouse? Right? Am I, am I serving? Here's, let me take it a step further. Am I serving expecting nothing in return? Right? It's easy to serve your spouse if you want something back. But Jesus serves expecting. Jesus serves in faith that he might get something in return. He serves not expecting it, but in faith that it might change someone else's actions as well. Am I serving my kids? Am I setting them up for success? Am I serving my neighbors? Or is my house the house that everyone avoids on the street, right? Am I controlling my dogs? Am I, you know, uh, mowing my yard from time to time? All the li- Am I serving my neighbors? Am I serving strangers in need if I see it? To live like Jesus is to serve. Number two is this. To love like Jesus is to give like Jesus. If I'm going to love like Jesus, I'm going to live a life of generosity like Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. How do I know what actual love is? our, Our world throws around love a lot, but it ain't biblical love. How do I know what real love is? We know because Jesus, what? Gave his life. So we also have to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, offers no help, doesn't even offer to help, how can God's love be in that person? Meaning this, it can't. It's not. Dear children, let us merely, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. It's easy to say I love my spouse, but can I see, can anybody see, can my spouse see that I love them through my actions? It's easy to say you love someone, but our actions reveal the nature of our heart. I can say I love Leslie, my wife, but if I don't take out the trash, when I know that's my job and I see it's full and I just pack it in there even more so I can save it for another trip, come on, that's selfishness. I can man up, be a good husband, and I can serve and give of my time to help around the house. Am I loving like Jesus? The question is, am I giving? Am I giving to my church? Am I giving to brothers and sisters in need as Scripture has commanded us to? A lot of times we think of giving and we think of, we think of uh, money. It's not always that. You may have a skill set that you can give to someone. You may have uh, something that you can give to the church and say, hey, I have this ability and I want to offer it to help. You may have someone see someone in need and say, hey, I don't have money to give you, but I can come in and I can fix that for you. I can help you with that. You may have a skill set. It's not always just money. To love like Jesus is to give like Jesus. And number three is this. To look like Jesus 
is to walk in power and purity. And this is the one that separates the church from every other organization in the world. There's a lot of secular organizations that serve people well. There's a lot of secular organizations that are very generous to other people. But the thing that sets the church apart is power and purity. Let me show you. God desires you to look like Jesus by walking in power. Mark 16, verse 17, this is Jesus. And he says this, and these signs will follow those who believe. These are my disciples. If you believe in Jesus today, this is, this is what he said. Well, well, these signs will follow you. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. He wants to give you a heavenly prayer language. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They will take up serpents. I'm not talking about grabbing snakes off the ground, y'all. Okay, this is talking about binding demonic spirits in the spiritual realm. That's what that means, all right? He says, you will take up serpents. You're going to bind their spiritual enemy. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Basically this, Jesus said, look, I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to sit at his right hand. I need you here doing what I would do if I was still here. And not only by yourself, I need you to join a body of believers and go and do what I would do if I were still here. This, these verses remind us that prayer offered in the name of Jesus in alignment with God's will have the full weight of his authority behind it. It's not my power, it's not my authority, but it is like a law enforcement officer who has a badge. Is that their authority? No, it's who has authorized them to make those decisions. And so God has done with us. Jesus says, go and do what I would do. Be an extension of my kingdom. Make disciples, continue going, lay hands on the sick, spread the good news. Jesus commissions his followers to do his work and we can't do his work without his power. But the second one is probably the most important. If you hear anything today, I know I've talked, covered a lot of ground. Hear this. God desires to look like, you to look like Jesus in purity. In purity. Everyone wants power without the purity. Few people want the purity. But you can't have power without purity, without holiness, without righteousness, without living it out. Why is it important that we look like Jesus in power and in purity? Here's why. The Christian life is not about you, and it's not about me. The Christian life is us being called to mature in the faith so we can lead others into maturity as well. The moment that we, even as individual members or as a church, start looking inward and saying, well, what do I want? What's best just for me? And if they don't like it, whatever— the moment we start doing that, the moment we lose sight of what Jesus has for the church. My life is lived to impact others. Let me show you. 1 John 2.10 says this, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Meaning this, he does not cause others to stumble into sin. If people were to watch my life in public, at home, at the job site, when I'm not around believers, if they could watch my life, would anything I'm doing, saying, or acting upon cause someone else to stumble into sin? Jesus takes it a step further, Matthew 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Come on, Jesus. That's, that's intense, right? We don't have that hung up above our dining room table, right? We don't have that verse on the wall. But those verses are in there for a reason. 
Because when I become a believer, my job is not to stay a baby. My job is to mature and to rid myself of things that would cause immature believers to stumble in my life. When it says little ones, it's not just talking about kids. It's talking about spiritually immature believers. We have to remind ourselves, and I have to remind myself of this, what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. What leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. Ask any parent in the room, right? You mess up one time and you say a word you shouldn't say, two weeks later, my two-year-old's just using it, okay? Just using all kinds, saying all kinds of words. I'm like, where did you learn that? Maybe it was me. <laughs> what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. I get this question all the time when it comes to alcohol with a pastor. I got pastors that would ask me all the time, hey, where do you stand on this? And this is what I would tell them, what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. And I have too great of a fear of the Lord when I read verses like this to allow myself to do something that would not be sin for me, but could even potentially cause sin for someone else. So a drink of alcohol is not sin. Drunkenness is sin. But you have to ask, ask myself, who is watching me as a leader in their life? And it, would this thing, even as simple as a, a drink, would it, could it lead them down to a place? Because where's the, where's the blame held? That's my feet on the fire. I'm saying this to say, there's a lot of churches in today's world, but I'm afraid that there's a lot of churches that are filled with baby believers in today's world. Here's why I say that, because look at our culture. Look at what we're okay with. We gotta have churches that are bold. I'll say this, the world doesn't need a church that looks like the world. Otherwise, what are we doing here? You could slept in this morning, y'all. What are we doing? The world needs a church that shines bright in purity in a crooked and perverse and dark world because we're the hope of the world. Jesus, church, is the hope of the world. To abide is to remain. If we're going to do that, what do we do? We do everything with the dove in mind. Imagine if a dove was on your shoulder. If I was doing this action, if I was saying this thing, if I was living this busy life, Am I keeping closeness with the Holy Spirit is what it comes down to. Well, it should affect my life. If I'm keeping him close, I should see myself living like Jesus, which I'm serving. I'm loving like him. I'm giving to other people. And I'm looking like him in power. And I'm walking in purity. It doesn't mean I'm never going to stumble from time to time, but I am free from sin, a slave no more. We're headed into year three going into four here. What's interesting is, I'm going to wrap up with this. In John 15, when Jesus talks about those vines, those vines specifically, the first and the second year of those grapevines, they didn't produce, produce much fruit at all. Nearly nothing. Why? The first and second years were just roots and spreading branches. But as it gets into the third through the fifth year, it is growth and fruit in abundance. And I feel like that is a prophetic picture and a prophetic word for our church. That we're headed into this year, going into year four here with expectation that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Does that just mean we got a bunch of, a bunch of numbers and a bunch of people? No, we're not here for pigeon religion, right? It's not it. We're here going to pursuing the presence of God. And in doing so, what, what, are, what are our goals? I want to see hundreds of kids and adults coming to Jesus. 
not, atten- not just attending. Attending is great, but are they living, loving, and looking like Jesus, coming to Jesus, walking like Jesus? I want to see multiple services as we outgrow this building and the next building, as we see people coming hungry for the truth of God's word and not opinions, not just a pat on the back, not just some sugar-coated message. We need to grow our nursery, our preschool, our elementary, our J-high ministries, our youth ministries. We have potential. There's, job, there's work to be done, y'all. I want to see people go public with their faith through water baptism. I want to see people receive the power, uh, power of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and pray in their heavenly language. I want to see depression destroyed, bodies healed, barren wombs made fruitful, demons cast out, miraculous healings taking place. And that's just to name a few. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do if he was here. And when we abide in him, he said, you will produce my fruit in your life. Let's be a church that's not just a cool name, abide church. Now we live it out. And we're excited to see when God's fruit is produced in our lives. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that today, I pray, Lord, that your precious blood, Lord Jesus, would it be sprinkled on our minds and our heart to receive your word today. Let your, your blood, as powerful as it is, help us receive. Help us apply it to our life, Lord. Holy Spirit, as our helper, I pray that this week, would you come alongside us? Would you remind us to do everything with you in mind? We're going to work as unto the Lord. We're going to serve as unto the Lord. We're going to love our kids as unto the Lord, as a great representation of you through us to them. Lord, we're going to do everything with you in mind. And I pray that as we do, your word says that we would produce much fruit, not for our glory, not to say, look at us and look how great we are just to glorify you, Jesus, to say, look what Jesus has done in my life. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity to even be close to you, Lord. And our heart's desire is to remain with you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.